Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Daniel chapter 3 this morning, and we'll be looking at verse 28 in just a moment. Before we uh, look at our Bibles, though, I'm going to share something uh, not from the Bible, but from uh, one of my magazines that I subscribe to. It's called Ink Magazine. Now, you probably can't see this, and you, you might not be able to, to see what it is. I probably should have taken a picture and put it up on the screen for you. But I thought maybe two pages, you could kind of get an idea of it. Um, in the middle of this magazine uh, for entrepreneurs is, uh, is a photo of a giant chip, like a computer chip. And, um, and on the right-hand corner here, it says, we are changing something that's been true for 50 or 60 years. Remember, uh, remember the line from the movie Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy kind of steps out and her dog Toto steps out of the house and they, they look around and it's just a completely different place from Kansas And do you remember what Dorothy says to Toto? I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, right? When I see things like this, changing something that's been true for 50 or 60 years, part of me wants to chuckle a little bit because... I realize that our world is so rapidly changing that many of us often look around and go, wow, what happened to the place I used to live in? I'm not in Kansas anymore. Things are changing so rapidly. And I want to chuckle because it says 50 or 60 years. We used to say, you know, we're changing something that's been true for centuries. But of course, in the technology world, if you're changing something that's been true for 50 or 60 years, that's like changing something that's been true for centuries because that world changes so very rapidly. What they're talking about is a new semiconductor called Lyric Semiconductor. They've developed a computer chip that uses values. You you know that computer chips generally use values that are either zero or one. Well, they've developed a chip that can use values other than zero or one. My question for you today as we start this new series about our church and where we're going and the change that's all around us and, and, and also the change that takes place in the church and in our church is how are we going to deal with that, all that change? If you saw the news yesterday, shooting stuns nation, you realize that all the rapid change that's going on around us is causing people a lot of pain. And we live in a revolutionary time, a a, a time where people are struggling to handle what's going on around them. And this young man, clearly, and now the families of these six who were killed at this event and Gabby Giffords. I, I got an email last night from uh, a friend of Julie's and mine that, that uh, we've known ever since we were children, who, uh, whose family is very close friends with Gabby Giffords, and, and just mourning this whole idea of, you know, how could somebody do something like this to someone who just really wants to help our country and who wants to, to serve? How do we deal with an increasingly violent 
rapidly changing society as a church. And one of the things that we see is if we look into the Bible is that even Christ followers sometimes struggle with this concept. For example, if you, um, if you go back into the Old Testament and, and you look at the rapid change that took place when God delivered the Jews from Egypt and took them out into the wilderness and asked them to be bold in their faith and to be obedient and to, to, to march into this land of milk and honey that he was going to basically hand over to them for free, help them conquer the people that were there, and how Moses, their leader, had to constantly deal with, with complaining and with bickering and with people who said, and they said this way more than one time, Moses, just lead us back to Egypt. Life was so much better there, right? You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you, you wish you could just go circle back to the good old days, to your personal Egypt, to where it felt like things were not quite so rapidly changing and challenging? You ever feel like complaining and grousing? about the way things are now, and oh no, <laughs> here they come with one more change. Jesus' disciples had to deal with it too. They had just gotten used to following him and learning from him for three years, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about, guys, I'm leaving. And they're like, what? Don't talk that way. How can you talk about leaving? We still need you here with us. Don't, don't go. In fact, one time Jesus has to turn around to, to Peter, one of the leaders of the disciples, and say, get away from me, Satan. Because Peter was fighting this idea that Jesus would leave them. And what's so interesting is what Jesus encourages the disciples to do with change with this momentous change of, of his leaving them. Instead of encouraging them, I'll keep on complaining and whining about it. Instead of encouraging them to, to look backward and wish that they were back where they used to be, Jesus says, have faith and be bold in that faith. I want you to pull out your crosswalk notes. And I want you to fill something in. Notice what it says here. Underneath today's reading, which I'll come to in a moment, it says, God calls on us to be bold faith and to tell the truth. Look at what Jesus says. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. Jesus is determined to tell them the truth. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Don't complain, Jesus says. Don't live in fear and be afraid of the future and of all these changes and, and even of the violence that the disciples would one day meet for the sake of Christ. Don't be afraid of that. Don't wish that you could go back, but 
Have faith in God, Jesus says. And that is exactly what another Old Testament figure, actually four figures, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they teach us as well. To have bold faith in God in times of violence and change when it's all around us to keep our eyes on the God who can move mountains and who will move mountains, as Jesus says, if we will just believe that what he says will happen and have bold faith. But here's a question for us. Do you live in Jerusalem? Or do you live in Babylon? Now, let me tell you what I mean by that question. Daniel and his three friends had been deported from Jerusalem. They they had been forcibly moved because the Babylonian hordes, the, the armies had come in, conquered the Jews, and moved thousands of them from their homeland over to Babylon as punishment for rebelling against them. And really, at a deeper level, spiritually, this was God acting through the Babylonians to discipline his children because they had been idolatrous. They had followed other gods and they had not kept God first in their life. They had not been bold-faithed. And so they're carried to this brand new country. Everything is different. Talk about rapid, immediate, overnight change. For guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had it all. If you read in Daniel chapter 1, it says the food was unfamiliar. The customs were unfamiliar. They were forced to read literature that was unfamiliar. The language was different. Everything about this new country was different. In fact, it was such huge change that they were asked to change their very names. Now imagine if all of a sudden a a law was made in our country that said, all of you people, you're not going to be called what you're called today anymore. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their real names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. But when they got forcibly moved to Babylon, you know what happened to them? This is how great of a change. They were forced to take Babylonian names. And that's where we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are not Jewish names. Those are Babylonian names. That's how much change. Even asking them, basically, change your identity. Can you imagine something like that happening in our world? Because we do see tons of change. But no one has yet asked us to turn in our driver's license and get a new name. I wonder how people would react if it were to go that far with change. And yet, you know what's interesting? These guys did not fight that change. To them, the name wasn't that big of a deal. I'm not saying they never fought certain changes. In fact, Chapter 1 of the book of Daniel tells about one of the changes they fought, eating certain kinds of foods, clean 
and not eating other certain kinds of food, unclean foods that God had commanded was important to the Jews as part of their daily worship of God. And when the Babylonians tried to get them to eat their food, much of which the Jews considered to be unclean, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego worked and negotiated until they could stick with the foods that allowed them to continue to live their life of worship daily. But most of all, what these men did was live their lives boldly. And they were faced with many opportunities to live their lives boldly. There were challenges, constant challenges, thrown down from as high as as the emperor himself, even threatening their lives if they didn't hone to the way the emperor wanted them to do, Nebuchadnezzar was his name. And there were also opportunities to serve. All three of these men ultimately get elevated higher and higher up in the Babylonian kingdom because they simply look for ways, godly ways, to serve their community and their society in this brand new, completely for them, changed culture. And I I think there's a lesson for us in that. But that goes back to the question. What if Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had so deeply mourned the loss of their home country, of the old days, of the way things used to be, that they couldn't serve? that they couldn't still worship their God, that they couldn't still be bold in their faith? What if they were constantly, in other words, looking in the rearview mirror and mourning? Well, I think the answer is obvious. If they had still been in their mind living in Jerusalem, they would not have been able to live the bold faith life that they were living in Babylon. They had to get their mind wrapped around the fact that things have changed. Things have changed. And I think that's still the challenge for us today. That's the challenge for you as individuals as you go about your work life. I was talking to a gentleman just this week over dinner about the amazing things that go on in in his workplace at, at Honeywell and how there's constant change going on. And how he, he has to adapt to that, to be able to serve right here in this church. Is this the same church that started in a little library seven years ago over at Arizona Lutheran Academy? <laughs> it's a far, far shot from that little church of 35 people. We have changed and changed and changed again. And it would be easy for us to say, you know, I wish we could go back to that little library or I wish we could go back to the gym at ALA or I miss this or I miss that. I miss the closeness, knowing everybody. And we could be like those Israelites. We could say, ah, I don't like this and start complaining and grousing or we could live in fear and hunker down and say like they said to Moses, can't we go back to Egypt? 
Or we can continue forward as God is calling us to do and live boldly in faith. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is that worship and living boldly in faith go together. In reality, what made Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego such powerful influencers in their culture in Babylon was they constantly held God high. And if they got God held up and and, and boasted and bragged about God and how wonderful their God was, then their next question to themselves was, well, how do we hold God even higher? How do we get his name spread further? How do we show how bold we can be because we know our God is big and powerful and wise. One time, Daniel and all the other advisors, they they received this impossible demand from Nebuchadnezzar. Impossible. Nebuchadnezzar says, I had a dream last night. And I need an interpretation for that dream. And Here's what we're going to do. Normally, I tell you the dream and you tell me the interpretation. We're not going to do that this time, Nebuchadnezzar says. Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to tell me the dream I dreamed and the interpretation. Can you imagine what all the advisors were thinking? This is not even possible. And then Nebuchadnezzar adds this little thing on. And if you can't tell me the dream and the meaning of the dream... You're all dead. I'm executing you all. Now, no pressure. Daniel worships. And he prays to God. And he holds God up high. And he says, God, you are wise and you are powerful. And I know that if you want to, you can tell me what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. And you can tell me what that dream meant. And that's exactly what happened. Because Daniel worshipped. And Daniel's three friends, <laughs> one time they were presented with a, an even tougher situation. Nebuchadnezzar, shortly after Daniel interpreted this dream, and it's really interesting to read this because Nebuchadnezzar says, look, your God is amazing. And then it seems like within weeks, he forgets all that has happened with Daniel. And he builds this huge statue to the gods of Babylon. And he commands everybody in the entire country, look, you have to bow down to this statue. And if you don't bow down to this statue and worship it, whoever doesn't is going to die. Talk about violent times. You know, we look at this, but if you read the book of Daniel, you're probably familiar with one of the most familiar Daniel stories, right? The one where Daniel doesn't do what the king wants and gets thrown in a lion's den to be eaten. Those were violent times. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decide that they are not going to worship any other God but the true God. And so they get ratted out because they're not coming forward to worship this huge statue. 
And Nebuchadnezzar gets so angry with them that he heats up this huge industrial-sized furnace and says, if you don't bow down and worship me right now, you're going in that furnace. And they refuse again. They say, you may as well throw us in into that furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, because we're not going to worship you. We only worship one God, the true God. That's all. And we're not going to change our minds about that. Interestingly, when Nebuchadnezzar orders the soldiers to, to throw the men into the fire, the soldiers who throw them into the fire die because the, the fire is so hot in that furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are met by a mysterious fourth man in the, in the, in the furnace. And we know that that very likely is our Savior, Jesus, that he came into that furnace and rescued those three men. And we'll talk about the very end of the story in just a moment. But the words that we're reading here are really this. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar after the three men come out of the furnace. Look at what it says in Daniel 3.28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. Now, that's an amazing statement. Not coming from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but from Nebuchadnezzar. Their worship of God was so strong, so solid, their faith was so bold, that even an unbelieving emperor had to say, what an amazing God you have. That's because they were God-centered in everything they did. Later on in the New Testament, Peter writes this, and this is what I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. This is is how they saw themselves, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that is also what we must be if we are to be bold-faithed. We must be a God-centered church because that is what God is looking for. And God-centered means everything is centered around him. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, not just Sunday morning, 24-7, eating, drinking, whatever you do, underline that phrase, will you? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So what I want to do is I want to take you through four things that I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and Daniel did and that we as a church are called also to do. First of all, do you see what Nebuchadnezzar there says there? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even he as an emperor, an unbelieving emperor, is praising God. And just like the Paul says, here's the first real important point to being a church that worships God with everything that we have. It is to honor God in everything.
But as I just shared with you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went deeper than that, didn't they? I mean, of course, they honored God. Look, we're not going to worship anybody else. You can put that that 90-foot statue up there if you want to, Nebuchadnezzar. But we are going to honor only God. And if that means we have to walk into this fiery furnace, so be it. If God wants to rescue us, he will. If he doesn't want to rescue us, they tell Nebuchadnezzar, he won't. And that's okay. We'll be in heaven. And they walked in there, and we know what happened. They honored God in everything, but they also invested their very life in God, didn't they? How is it that they could walk into that furnace that killed the very soldiers that escorted them in and not be afraid? Because they were invested, fully invested in God. And we see so many examples of this throughout the Bible. When Jesus called Matthew, he said, Matthew, I know you've been a tax collector your whole life. Stop doing that. Walk out of the booth and come follow me. And amazingly, Matthew says, okay, I'll drop everything. I'll stop being a tax collector. And he follows Jesus. Peter and John, they're fishermen their whole life. Okay, we'll drop the fishing and become fishers of men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Grew up in Jerusalem, surrounded by all the wonderful things and support that they had for their faith, are hauled off to Babylon, and they say, okay, God, your will be done. We're here. We'll serve you here. Because in their hearts, their lives were invested in God. Take a look at the Corinthians. This, this letter, second letter to Corinthians, and here, it's actually not talking about the Corinthians. It's talking about the Macedonians, people who lived a little bit north of Corinth. And what does Paul say about these Macedonians and their investment in God? It says, out of the most severe trial, they were going through a tough time. Yet their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, and they did not do as we expected, but, but what does it say? They gave themselves first to the Lord. They invested themselves. And then to us, their brothers and sisters in Christ, they invested themselves in us. So flip over the page. You want to lift God higher in your life? Honor him in all things, but then go one step further like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, you know what? If God wants to save my life, great. If he doesn't, I'm putting my life in his hands. And invest your life in God. You know the other thing that we notice about these guys? Is that they were the very opposite of grousers and complainers and whiners about change. The very opposite of those children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness. They were constantly giving God thanks for the opportunities that, that God was placing in front of them to, to honor him and serve him. Look at what Daniel says when he gets the answer to that dream question. I thank and praise you, 
God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. What does he say? I thank and praise you, God. Times of rapid change like we're living in right now, it's so easy to let our head drop. It's so easy to get down. And to, and to feel the, the energy drain from our, our bones and our muscles and go, oh, I don't know if I can go on. How, how can I take one more step? And often that's because we allow ourselves to get into that feel sorry for ourselves mode. And despite all the amazing changes that were taking place, t- taking place for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just simply didn't allow themselves. They went to God and said, God, give us faith and give us strength. We know we can't generate that within ourselves, but you can give it to us. And help us to live lives that are thankful, not whiny and complaining and but constantly giving thanks to you, God. Notice what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. You might think, wow, Pastor Jeff, are you, are you being real there? You want me to be happy all the time? You want me to give thanks continually? Where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 19. It says, rejoice always. Always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Have you ever thought about that? That when you let yourself get in that, oh, I feel sorry for myself, and it's all about me, and you get whiny and complaining that you're quenching the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, don't do that. Don't quench the spirit. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Our third point is just that. Give thanks to God always. And here's the last point. Look at Daniel 3, 24 and 25. This is Nebuchadnezzar's reaction when he sees these three guys walking around in the furnace and they're not dead as doornails. They're not burned up little crispy critters. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Amazing, Nebuchadnezzar says. And then the men come out. Daniel 3.27 says, They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads even singed. I know when I've been barbecuing a few times, you ever had that happen? Yeah, me too. But their, their hair was not even singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was not even a smell of fire on them. Amazing, because they were bold faith and determined to lift God higher and worship him at every juncture in their lives. All of that put there 
by the same guy that was walking around in the fire. You see, this wasn't them doing this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, in their own way, no more amazing than you. Because they were sinners too. They were men who every day failed to keep God's commands. Because if you heard me talk about little Andrew Michael here, you heard me say, look, this is the way we've all been born from generations, for generations going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Every last one of us are born in sin. And our natural condition is to rebel against God, not do what he asks us to do and live our own way selfishly. That's what's natural. And that's what was natural for these guys. But then there was that fourth man, right? And we know that fourth man is Jesus. Walking around in the fire, making sure that they were saved. Saved from that fire, yes, of course. But saved from their sins, too. Saved from their guilt and their shame. The same Savior who would come 600 years later as a little baby born in Bethlehem and then die on the cross for them. And as that Savior walked around in the fire, it's a reminder to them and to all of us that Jesus still saves. And from much hotter fires, the fires of hell that we all have earned and deserved because of our sins. What an amazing Savior God, we have. And when we cling to him, when we're bold faith by his power and his working in our hearts and minds, then we can face even hell and know that not a hair of our head will ever be singed by that fire. That no one will ever even be able to smell even the hint of hell's fires on us. Why not? Because we have that fourth man in our lives too. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You see what's consistently true about these men? Daniel, the disciples, bold men and women of faith throughout the Bible, is that they knew something very important. It wasn't them. They weren't saved because they remembered to put on their asbestos suits before they went into the fire. They were saved by the fourth man. You and I are not saved by our own efforts. We don't believe and we're not bold to faith because of who we are, what we do. It's the fourth man. And that fourth man, Jesus Christ, is important to all of our lives because it allows us just to humble ourselves and go, how wonderful that it's not about me. Because I'm nothing more than a poor sinner and I have this Savior who has rescued me from the fire. Second Chronicles 34, 27 says, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. True in the book of Chronicles, true for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, true for us that an important part of worship is to humble ourselves before God, 
recognize that we are sinners in need of that fourth man in our lives. Now, as I close today, first of all, did you notice? Honor God in everything. Invest your life in God. Give thanks to God always. Humble yourselves before God. Take the first letters of every one of those words. What does it spell? High. If you want to lift God higher in worship, these are the things that you must do. Like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Honor God in everything. Invest your life in God. Give thanks to God always and humble yourself before God. That's how God gets higher in your life. And at Crosswalk as a church, there are two things that we do to try to make that easy and possible for you. Well, let's hope I can get these buckets apart. Everything we do at this church can fit into three buckets. The first thing that we do is we are determined to worship God. Whether it's Sunday morning or you you heard Christy and Tom talk about the wonderful worship that goes on in our growth groups, and I hope every last one of you is convinced to sign up for a growth group this semester. Whether it's in your individual lives, when you go to work, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, we're, we're invested ourselves in helping you worship God with your whole life, and whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to hold him higher. We're also invested in making sure that you grow. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about that second bucket because if we don't keep growing in our faith, if we don't keep nurturing it as we talked with Eric and Christine, we don't, wherever we're at, have a willingness to take a next step in our walk with Christ. Eventually, this bucket's going to go away. We'll stop worshiping. And the final bucket that we'll talk about in two weeks is surf. Because as you worship and as you grow, just like with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's going to be organic. You are going to say, how can I serve this God that I love and worship? How can I serve my fellow Christ followers and other people in this community? I want you to think during this series about these three buckets and to realize that everything that goes on at Crosswalk is to encourage and help you to constantly be taking a next step, grabbing something out of one of these three buckets. How can I worship God better and more? Can I become more consistent in my Sunday worship? Can I join a growth group? How can I grow more? And how can I serve better? The other thing that we want you to have, and pull out your crosswalk notes, is an idea of vocation, meaning that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, which means if you look at your next step, top next step, you don't have to come here to worship. You can worship at work. Just open your eyes like Daniel did, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Those guys weren't pastors. 
They were just guys serving the king. But they were determined to worship at work. And they opened their eyes to the opportunities to lift God higher every day, wherever they were at, and see God as present in their lives. The second thing is, not only worship at work, but work at worship. When you do come here on Sunday mornings, when you go to your growth group during the week, is your attitude just kind of, I hope somebody feeds me. I'm ready. Are you here to work? Look, I, I know better than anyone that my sermons are long. But you're here to work. Don't, don't complain to me that you're, you're, you're here and you don't want to learn. Right? Because I'm assuming that you're here because you do want to work at worship. That's my assumption. And that you're not here with the attitude that just says, all right, when Jonathan's playing, I'll kind of try to listen a little bit. And when Jeff's talking, I'll at least do the fill-in so I look good. You're here to work. And the more you work at worship and worship at work, you're going to be lifting God higher. Finally, meditate on and memorize Daniel 3.28. See that last verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.1? Here's what I'm saying to you today. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live. That's what I was trying to do today, how this church is going to live. How to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now living. And I believe that about you. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Do it more and more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have brought us here today to worship you, to hold you higher. And Lord, as we sing, as we pray, as we listen to your word, help us to hold you higher in our hearts and in our minds and to work at worship. Lord God, Heavenly Father, help us to see the opportunities all around us whether it's threats coming at us that we can meet like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether it's opportunities to, to serve like Daniel did with that dream, help us to see all of those as opportunities to hold you higher in worship and to honor you and only you in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that fourth man because we are sinful, Lord. We're prone to be afraid of change. We're prone to complain and grouse. We're, we're prone to so many uh, things that, that are essentially telling you, Lord, take us back to Egypt. And we repent of all of that, Lord. And through that fourth man, Jesus Christ, we ask for your forgiveness and your salvation. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.